Welcome back, Ford Explorers. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to remind you that we have an Instagram, we have a Twitter, we have a TikTok where we cover news, and we have a Patreon if you want to support us and get a subliminal shout-out. But most importantly, we have our hotline. Typically, we tell you a story, but we want you to tell us a story. So call us or text us to the hotline, tell us your story, and enjoy this week's episode. And welcome back, Ford Explorers, to the Ask Cat Spirit Hour. I, of course, am the Colonel. This is my son, Caleb. If this is your first time joining us, hello and welcome. We're happy to have you. If you're coming in from our TikTok news show, hello, welcome, happy to have you. This is the other thing we do. If you're not and you don't know what I'm talking about, we have one of those now. Uh, hello, this is the podcast, this is the Ask Cat Spirit Hour, where Caleb and I kind of talk about all the weird mysteries of the world, what may or may not be, and how they may or may not be connected to one another. Uh, but before we do that, I always like to start the show with what we like to call it the ghost report. Mm-hmm. We're both big ghost hunters fans were ghost boys spooky, boys. spooky uh, boys and i happen to own a very haunted bar where caleb is the chef and uh, caleb has to deal with it every week so every week we like to talk to him about the ghost caleb would you like to hit us with the ghost report yeah we had a really fun experience this week so we had a big music festival last weekend yep. and the crew that was in town building the music festival they built the stages and everything they were tearing down and they were about to leave they spent almost every day of the week that they were in at the bar, just once they were done building, they'd come in for drinks, and they were super into ghosts as well, and they asked me a bunch of questions throughout the week about the building and about the ghosts. Uh, one person said they saw the lady with the long hair one night, and it was we just were having a lot of fun. Well, another group was sitting next to him and overheard us talking about the ghosts, and he was like, oh, this place is haunted? And one of the crew members was like, oh, yeah, this place has so many ghost things happen. And as he said it, the entire middle string of lights changed color. And what's important to to clue in there, detail-wise, those are connected to another chain, so they change color together. Yes. Yeah, they're connected to the same controller. They don't have separate controllers. So in order for it to change, it would just... There would have to be some sort of a, I don't know, an EMF thing or like yeah. an amperage, something something for that to happen. So it's very ghosty. Yeah, and so he just started laughing. I started laughing. And the guy's like, <laughs> you got ghosts in here? And the ghost sign starts flashing. <laughs> ghost, ghost, ghost. Um, and then with that, I saw the lady with the long hair uh, just kind of wandering around the back. And when we were locking up one day, I looked in the window because I thought I left a light on. And I didn't, but I did see just, like, a little shadowy figure running around. This is the so, lady with long hair goofing around. Yeah, she's just like, ooh, they're gone. Time to run. She's got the zoomies. Yeah. Exactly. Once we leave the building, she's got the zoomies. She just scurries around. And she's like, your cat. Like, the moment you're gone, <laughs> she takes, like, a 15-minute nap. She maybe does a little bit of grooming, and then she just runs up and down the, the length of the bar until we all get there. The, that sounds about right. The people in the Airbnbs next door are like, oh, my God, what's up with that fucking bar from, like, 3 a.m. all the way? And it's like, work? closed it too on weekdays we don't know what you're talking about it's just our our anxious ghost <laughs> just running starting back and forth dude the lady with the long hair we're gonna we've been joking about you know obviously we have a cocktail menu we've been joking about allowing her to 
that might have been her spirit coming through. Uh, we've joked around about allowing her to uh, to design her own drink. Yeah. So we need to have some sort of, we need to have a medium come in and have a seance where she gets to design her own cocktail on the menu because it's, it's only right, I feel like. That's her unfinished business. Yeah, she just she's an aspiring bartender, so she's thrilled that it's a bar, but she's just, she's like, God, maybe the running up and down, the anxious energy is her trying the bar back for us. Yeah. You know, she's trying really hard. That's why things keep getting misplaced. She's trying to grab them for us, but doesn't know where they go back, and so it's, she's like, um, I didn't know where this way yeah. and just put it somewhere. And we're like, where the fuck did the Shinwa go? Yeah, that's why stuff keeps going missing. Like, Where'd the fine strainer go? And she's like, fuck, I know I didn't put it in the right place. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. She's just trying really hard to work with us. That'd be cool. That's very charming. Has anyone seen the backup whiskey? And she's like, I thought I put it in the right place. I'm so sorry. It's like, why is it in the second bathroom? She's like, it's the only room I can move stuff around in. I'm sorry. It's where I'm most powerful. I could only, I could pick up the box and take it there, but then I couldn't pick it back up again. My hands just kept waving through it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this is also the portion of the ghost report at the end where I always extend the invitation. If any of you are uh, ghost hunters in any capacity, be it amateur or professional, and you'd like to take a, a stab. If you are in town to go to Waverly, maybe you'd like to look into a spot that isn't normally investigated, by all means, reach out to us and we'd happily let you into the bar for a little while. And you can you can take a gander around and talk to the lady with the long hair. Um uh, speaking of old things coming back, hot on the heels of Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. This, uh, this show doesn't have the opportunity to be topical all that often. I mean, we kind of can. There are certain days we like to, haul, you know, that we like to, I was going to say holidays. We like to turn them into holidays. We like to turn them into holidays. Like uh, Killdozer Day. Killdozer you Day. Know, Killdozer Day is one of those days that we celebrate like it's a holiday. Um um, the uh, Jonestown anniversary, that sort of stuff. Today, obviously, is a fun day because it's the day Reagan almost died. Yep. Yeah. Or is it today the day Today's Reagan actually the, died? Today is the day that Reagan actually died. Yeah, his assassination attempt wasn't wasn't this time of the year. It was a little later in the year, I feel like. Uh, I feel like it was in the fall. I just remember yeah. the sky being very gray. Just not not quite shots taken that needed to be. Listen to me. <laughs> this is going to get the podcast. I'm going to erase that from the podcast. Nobody hears it. Can't talk about presidential assassination. But what we can talk about is missing flyboys or in this case, a flag girl. Yes. Um, that is not, we're not gendering anybody here. That's what she was. Uh, we're talking about Tommy Tompkins, yes. otherwise known as Gut Gertrude. What's her middle name? I know her middle uh, initial was V. Gertrude Vreeland Tompkins. Yeah, Vreeland's a cool, it's, and Silver by the time yep. she had disappeared. Uh, we're talking about the disappearance of her. She is the only uh, pilot to go, only American pilot to go missing during World War II, mm -hmm. which that statistic really stirred me a lot, which is kind of what drew me towards her story, because I was like, yeah. that can't fucking be true. Well, for most of the pilots that like went MIA, they ended up recovering either their body or their plane. Uh, in her case, they have still found neither. Yeah, the VIN number for the plane has never been found, and she was flying a P-51 Mustang. Obviously, we'll get into that. But that is not a plane that, you know, it's easy to lose a, this is a funny thing to say, but in the context of what we talk about when we talk about plane crashes and stuff like that, it's a lot easier to lose a Cessna than it is, like a little 210 or something like that, than it is to lose a, a P-51 Mustang. Yeah. It's a large aluminum plane with a V-12 engine uh, and giant machine guns on the front of it falling into the mountains like you're gonna see it it was yeah. aluminum it was unpainted but we'll get to all that stuff here in a little bit uh it's just fascinating that of all the stories she went missing and she went missing in such a like i guess maybe you're yeah that is probably a strength to your point is that 
a lot of the other so-called missing uh, service men and women during World War II were at some point accounted for. Yep. Whether that was true or not, it's very apocalypse now of me, you know, but whether that was really the case, had they really been found or not, they were still marked as, as yeah. active and alive. So that's a, that is a very, very salient point. It's a good point. But she was the first one to go missing. Now, before we get into our theories as to what could have happened and we get into what happened, uh, we do what we always do on the show and we like to tell a little backstory. Sometimes people are, we find in this genre... Slightly objectified. Yeah. And just sort of, you want to talk about the story, but not the person. So we always like to, we start with the humanity first. So why don't you tell everybody how, how Gertrude grew up and what Tommy's life was like before she became a pilot. Yeah. So Gertrude Vreeland Tompkins was born October 16th of 1911 in Jersey City, New Jersey. That's um, a tough life. Her parents were uh, Vreeland Tompkins, who was the founder of Smooth On, which... Uh, I know Smoothon as a costume maker. Smoothon is one of the largest manufacturers of like polyurethane and resin okay. and rubber and stuff. You can okay. get like a lot of people probably know them like now cosplay stuff? from cosplay stuff, and they sell these really cool like 3D print smoothing kits to like <laughs> smooth out the print lines from 3D prints. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, he actually founded Smoothon, and her mom was Laura Tompkins. And she was raised as the youngest child in their family and was born with a really bad stuttering problem. So that because of that and because it was the early um, 1900s, she got a lot of shit for it. Yeah, being a kid in the 19-teens with a stuttering problem yeah. as a girl. Yeah. So she became very withdrawn and wasn't very social. So her family actually sent her to live with a family on a farm in West Virginia during her adolescence. And she started raising goats, and it was an attempt to kind of help her overcome her social withdrawal and her poor school performance. I mean, if, if anything is going to teach you, I've raised goats, and if anything is going to teach you how to deal with something that's really difficult and won't listen or respect you at all, yep. it's raising goats. Dude, goats are awful. We um, <laughs> They are. I love all farm animals, but I fucking hate goats. All they do is jump on shit, eat shit, shit. You know, like, they're just, they're little monsters. So she attended horticulture school uh, after being raised and started raising goats on her own for a period of time. And then once she got a little older, she returned to work at Smooth On with her father and lived in New York City uh, in the 30s. Okay. So Gertrude then fell in love with, I'm going to have a real hard time pronouncing his last name, Stanley Kolendorsky. Kolendorsky. Yeah. Who was an American. Did colonoscopy. Okay. Who was an American aviator who was killed during World War II in the early 40s. Oh, this is a terrible time for me to make this joke now, but I was going to say Kolendorsky sort of sounds like a, a like a middle, like a Midwestern nickname for your butthole. <laughs> You know, you're Kolendorsky. <laughs> you're Kolendorsky. <laughs> yeah, you're Kolendor. You know, you're Kolendorsky. Open up that Kolendorsky, why don't you? You know, fucking ejected from the plane really hurt my Kolendorsky. <laughs> um, so Stanley was a member of the Eagle Squadron 71. <laughs> may he rest in peace. <laughs> which uh, may, was made up of American pilots who volunteered to fly against the Germans for England before America entered World War II. Okay. And he returned uh, to England to fight, and he died in combat for... Uh, flying for England, not even flying for the U.S. Yeah. Because it was before the U.S. even entered the fight. Yeah, as much as we loved... I mean, I think pretty much everybody listening to this probably knows the story, unless you're younger. You should know that while we like to market World War II very heavily, it did not go the way that America likes it. We, did, we weren't like this omnipotent power that came in and fixed everything. We waited till the very last minute. Yeah. So in May of 1941, Gertrude received notice that her true love had been shot down by Nazis and his body was recovered in the sea. And she, of course, became very sad. She, she was longing. She said that it was her one and only love. And 
because of that, she kind of took an interest into aviation to kind of have his spirit live on. Gertrude then took up private flying lessons and then joined the Women's Air Force Service Pilots, or the WASPs, shortly thereafter. And she was a really good pilot. Yeah, do you want to describe what the WASPs did? Yeah, so the WASPs... Uh, they were cool as fuck. They were, like I said, service pilots. So a lot of what they would do is... Not only would they help build the planes, they would also be the ones that would test the planes and then fly them where they needed to go to enter the war. Yeah, and like one of those tests, the thing that I found the most harrowing while we were doing research about this is one of the tests that they'd have these women do is they'd put them up a, in like a VOT testing plane and it would be dragging behind it a bunch of targets mm -hmm. and they'd send up Mustangs behind it and they'd sh fire live rounds at the, the targets shooting target practice, except that's target practice where somebody has to stand downrange. So these are pilots. That's these that's women like, are, yeah, they're like the, the bravest bullfighters you've ever seen. Going to a gun range and holding the target here. Yeah, <laughs> and like what a like what a predictably misogynist thing to make the women do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> hey, do you got any jobs for the women? Uh, yeah, uh, we do need someone to hold the target that we shoot at. We, you want that job? We can shoot at you, and it's like, not really, but I guess. Yeah. Um, and then they would also be the ones that like, hey, we're sending a squadron of pilots here, but there are no pilots planes at that base can you guys fly these planes over there leave them for them there and then we'll bring you back yeah and the, you know the wasps they went without their accolades for a very long time which yes. is you know part of the point of this episode is definitely to give them their flowers because these women were incredible and yeah we're, you know we're not pro-military guys but this comes up a lot and when it comes to doing your part to help out your country they were asked to do a lot of really shitty work domestically let alone abroad and they just picked up you know, the, the tools and went to work. So she reported to Avenger Field in Sweetwater, Texas, where famed female aviator Jacqueline Cochran began uh, training women for flight in the U.S. military. And at the time, it was an all-female military base. It was the only all-female military base in U.S. history. A league of their own. Cool. Yeah. Um, she trained for... It is really cool, to be clear, yeah. It's super cool. She trained for 24 weeks. Do you think it only had, do you think there was a urinal anywhere on that base? Probably not. I bet their bathrooms were so nice. It's like the only base that also smells very nice. <laughs> yeah, it's the cleanest. They, yeah, the arts are really clean. Not only is it the only women air, uh, oh. base in history, it was also the cleanest army base in history. <laughs> yeah, it was really clean. It smelled like apple pie all the time. <laughs> so she trained for 24 weeks with 180 hours of flight time in those 24 weeks. Wow. Which is... Dude, that's flying uh, nonstop. That's uh, yeah, she outstanding. Woke up, flew, went to bed. <laughs> As people who I like have an amateur uh, interest, we've, yeah, we've got experience. Flying. Yeah, we've ha we've ha both had experience flying. That's a lot. That's a lot of hours to put in. We uh, a friend of ours has been flying for almost a year now, and I think he's only at like one sixty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, one eighty and a half a year. That's crazy. That's, that's all you're wild. doing. So she also had 30 hours of simulated flight training, five hours of physical training you think back each then week. It was like a get in a cardboard box. And <laughs> they rattled you around. <laughs> they they built a big steel wheel with a seat in the middle and they pushed you down a hill. I think it's probably like a mix between it's a small world and that training section from Men in Black, where she just like has to get in a little fake plane <laughs> and they push her down a little gallery and she has to shoot the bad guys. The the little spring. Uh, like rides yeah. at a playground. Exactly. She's yeah. in it and she's like, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> the little uh, pig physics things. Five hours of physical training each week and 180 hours of instruction in navigation, communication, weather, aircraft, and engine, and air transport command procedures. Intense training. Like they yeah. were, they were filling their heads. With <laughs> They're just like, hey, we don't got a lot of time. You do this shit. It feels that you know sometimes that happens in our business, like the hospitality business. People will be caught off guard by offering their services. They'll be like, yeah. you know what, I want a job. And it's like, sure, you want a job? And like, yeah, I want a job. And then one week later, they're like, I work 60 hours a week and have no free time. And it's like, yeah, you told me you wanted a job. It feels a lot like that too. I'm, like, I'm ready to fly for the, the U.S. Army. Are you sure? Yeah, okay. You sure about that? <laughs> so the WASP were employed from 1942 to 1944 during the war. And as we stated earlier, they were referred to as fly girls. Yep. Um, so after graduating with flying colors, no pun intended. Do you no think they intended, had like... Fabio painted on the front of their planes. Yeah. You know, sexy dudes. <laughs> just big just a pinup guy. Yeah, there's like a Channing Tatum, but he's just on the front. Match like <laughs> like their car. Their planes are called shit like Magic Mike. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's the best plane, and they like deliver the plane, and the pilot's like, "We gotta paint over this gay <laughs> shit." <laughs> um. Yeah, we call this bomber Big Balls, <laughs> and it's like <laughs> they're just like slowly pranking the guys. It's like. Fuck, man, we can't change that. They also paint the planes. I'm fucking tired of the wasps. Why now? Look at this bomber. They just painted a giant dick on the side of it. <laughs> it doesn't even have a name. It doesn't even have a definition. It's just a dick. <laughs> so after graduating with flying colors in Sweetwater, Gertrude was ev eventually just one of 126 wasps. Passing with flying colors does kind of sound like one of those jet fighter things, like smoke in the air. Yeah. Like that means you died. <laughs> Like, that's what they call it when you burn you in. with flying colors. Exactly. Uh, that's what they call it when a gay pilot dies. <laughs> Happy Pride Month, everybody. So, she was eventually just one out of 126 wasps chosen to attend the Advanced Pursuit School, or as we know it, especially since we saw it yesterday, Top Gun! Yeah, I think it's cool as shit that she yeah. was in Top Gun, man. So, she ended up uh, training to learn how... Uh, prior to her, it was only the best male pilots who were trained for combat and combat that no one really saw. It was like the really intense, really crazy shit. I mean, we've all seen the movie. Yeah. Um, they also teach you how to play beach volleyball and in the new one, beach dual football. Yeah, dual football. <laughs> and she also learned to pilot fighter planes, which uh, pursuits, as they were called at the time, like the Thunderbolt and the Mustang, which before that, women very rarely were ever even in those planes. Like, Let alone flying, like, she's not just flying planes. She's flying, like, top of the... She's gleaming the cube. Like, these yeah. are the very first... She's flying. She's test flying planes. Like, yes. She's not just a pilot who they send out there to to take a plane a place or to pull a target. They send her up there and then have her come back and go, what's wrong with the plane? Is yeah. there anything wrong with that plane? Like, they trust her that much. And mm -hmm. she she was the first woman to Top Gun, right? Yeah. 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 Like, she was the first one. It was also very telling that the very first woman to Top Gun just disappeared and no one put any effort into finding her. Yeah. Which we'll get into, but still crazy. So all throughout training, Gertrude stuttered. She still had this... Wild stutter. She tried to hide it. She was very ashamed of it. Call sign g -g 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 goose. And after her first flight in the shiny silver P-51 Mustang, it, she blazed across the sky, 1,500 horsepower engine at over 400 miles per hour. She landed and never stuttered again. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah, so flying the Mustang fucking cured her stutter. I mean, to anybody, we're obviously, we're air guys. Like, yeah. I grew up, I've, this has come up on the podcast a billion times, you know, we talked about it with the Battle of the Biz guy, but I grew up in Great Falls, Montana, which means that I grew up next to one of the largest functioning Air Force bases in the country and one of the most important because it's where all the nuclear warheads are, mm -hmm. or one of the largest of the three caches, which means I got to watch the Blue Angels practice and shit in my backyard in my treehouse when I was a kid. I used to sit, and they'd fly over in formation, and sometimes they'd be upside down and they do all kinds of crazy shit. And, you know, that's six F-18s flying over the top yeah. of your house. And jets can fly so low. And it would just shake the treehouse and shake the house. And I remember as a kid, it was like my favorite roller coaster to ride. My dad would tell me when the Blue Angels were flying and I'd go outside and I would just sit in my treehouse and wait for them to fly by. And because of that, I've always had, like, a passion for aeronautics. And, you know, I love going to, like, auto races where things go by really quickly. That sensation is really fantastic. And I can only, I urge anybody, I say all this to just say, I urge anybody who's ever got the opportunity to be around a P-51 Mustang, if you can go up in it, if you can watch it fly, if you can stand next to it when it starts, they're just, when it comes to a hot rod, there are a lot of really cool planes. There's a lot of amazing jets, but the P-51 was the last really fast fucking plane because yeah. it's not a jet. It doesn't have a turbo. That is a V-12. Yep. It is just a fast moving aluminum plane and it's so cool. They're so big. They're a lot bigger than you think they yeah. are and they're just amazing planes. They're so cool. Sorry. I just wanted to take oh, yeah, 100%. Two, two minutes to gush about the P-51 because it's the coolest plane. I honestly think it's one of the coolest planes that's ever been made. And it's a shame that it was made for military service. Yeah. Because fuck, it's a cool plane. And I will say, if you are interested in planes whatsoever, find someone that has a uh, private license or something like that. The first instance... Dude, the first instance... It's like getting a tattoo. The first time you fly, you're like, okay, I got to learn how to fly. I legitimately... <laughs> I was given control of the stick for... 15 seconds before I started to freak out and like my brain my brain was immediately like you're gonna crash this plane and I was like oh sick I am I'm gonna stop flying you don't it. even know if you locked your house when you left yeah. <laughs> I grabbed it and I was like did I leave the fridge door open and I was like oh shit we're plummeting towards the ground you can take back over no but there's something it just clicks inside you and you're like this is the coolest moment I've ever had I legitimately it's a bummer that more people that you know because aeronautics is really kept if you don't have any money I didn't yeah. get to get into it until I was old enough to be able to afford to be able to do it and even then I can still just barely afford yeah. it you know like it's a very expensive hobby and the only other way you can get into it is if you are you're in the service right yeah it's the only other place they focus on it and it sucks because it's so fucking cool and it's a great way to get around yeah it's it's so liberating to not have to be a billionaire or a millionaire or whatever to just be a pretty normal person and be able to go you know what Let's plan to fly to Chicago this weekend, and we can do it. Yeah. That's really cool. It's not that expensive. Like, people think it's a crazy expensive thing. To fly to Chicago is a couple hundred bucks. Like, it's cheaper than buying a, a flight ticket. Yeah. You just have to know how to fly first, and that's the inhibitive part. And that sucks because the the way that it liberates you is really cool. You know, in America, obviously, it's very easy to get, like, kind of scared and want to stay in your spot and worried about what you're going to do. Learn how to fly. It, rather than ca having a huge cachet of guns and all this shit, don't worry about that. Learn how to fly. Learn yeah. a skill that learn how to fly helo learn how to fly a helicopter if you can fly as we're going to talk about here in just a second you can go very very far mm -hmm. uh and i will say it curing her stutter isn't surprising to me because that first time that i did fly in a very small plane it was a cessna and we were just side by side and i looked down onto the street being at like i want to say maybe 600 feet in the air i looked down and i was like oh 
Well, now I'm like no longer sad because my problems don't seem that important. Yeah, anymore. I'm in the fucking like, air now. <laughs> I was like, oh, that semi looks like my pinky fingernail. I don't give a shit that someone didn't text me back anymore. Yeah, there's, like, there's something very real about distance. Even if you you know you don't have to laterally go far, but you have to go an even shorter distance if you're just going straight up. Yeah, you you know to get out of town to get a weekend out of town, you might go. 60, 100 miles to go town over, do a thing. And that helps kind of get your head out of it. As you've experienced, you get a thousand feet in the air and you're like, oh, oh, yeah. this is everything. Yeah. yeah. I could, my entire life could be in the back of this plane and it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. There's a very freeing thing to it. Anyway, we've talked enough <laughs> about that. So Gertrude then married an army techni uh, technical sergeant named Henry Mansilver, which. What a fucking World yeah, War dude. II name right there. Hank Silver. Fuck. Henry Mansilver. Henry Mansilver. Uh, in September of 1944. Okay. And Henry's sister died after giving childbirth out of wedlock. And he... I like said it like, that's why it happened. <laughs> and he was preparing to adopt her child in 1944. And he knew Gertrude for several years prior to their wedding. And was like, hey, I know you're mourning the loss of your husband. And we've known each other. We're really good friends for a while now. I want to adopt my sister's child. She just passed away. And they won't let me by myself. So they ended up getting married and adopting this child as, like, very mutually beneficial. They really I mean, enjoyed each other's company. They also were able to adopt. That's also pretty traditional marriage. Yeah. You know? Like, if we go way, way back, that's kind of how they worked. They yeah. were land deals. And it was just, like, supposed to be very beneficial. Um, her father adored Henry and thought of him as a son, even though the marriage was just kind of, like, ceremonious it wasn't like it wasn't a marriage out of love he's like i know that you're still heartbroken over the loss of your one true love and he's like i need to get married so i can save my sister's kid yeah, from but going they, foster they, were, sister. they were buddies though. but they were really close friends yeah. like as historians say they were really close friends um <laughs> which just means they were both gay yeah but no so a lot of people were like then kind of gross about it and being like well if it was her one true love why'd she marry so soon and it's yeah. like guys you can't be shitty about this yeah so, Gertrude returned to WASP duties two days after their wedding, and she and Henry never saw each other again. They got married, spent two days together, she went back to the WASP program, never saw him again. I mean, that's kind of what they were after. Yeah. She just needed, or he just needed her name on the bottom line so he could adopt this, his nephew, or his niece. Uh, she was not wearing her engagement or wedding rings when she departed for Texas. She never used her married name, and marriage by WASP was frowned upon. And she said that she was afraid she would lose her job That's if fair. they knew that she was married. It's like the Jedi. You can't have any attachments. Exactly. Now we'll get into her actually disappearing. Yeah. So she was a she was a prolific pilot. Honestly, one of the best. She's up there flying some weird. It, it, she's on the cutting edge. Yes. She's flying not quite experimental, but might as well be experimental aircraft. Uh, and she's kind of one of the go-tos for the government. Yes. So Gertrude was scheduled to fly a P-51 Mustang fighter plane. Which, I mean, was the hot shit. Like, if as, you, as I yeah. just spent two minutes gushing about, it's the coolest fucking plane ever made. Uh, she was supposed to go from Minesfield in Inglewood, California, which is now LAX. It's the Los Angeles International Airport. Yep. To Palm Springs, California on October 26, 1944. <laughs> Incorrect. She was flying. Initially, yeah. they were to fly to Coolidge. But because of a weather change, they're going to fly to Coolidge Field just south of Phoenix, just between Phoenix and Tucson, um, where a lot of this sort of stuff happens. Yeah. If you ever want to go skydiving, the best place in the country to go skydiving is Eloy, Arizona. Interesting. That's where the, the we talked about it on our new show, but where the Red Bull skydiving plane swap, where it went wrong. Yeah, and crashed in, into the ground. It was in Eloy, which is why they got away with it, because it was in Arizona, where it there's no desert. laws. Yeah. It's the western Florida. It's honestly worse than Florida, because at least, like, 
70, 80% of Florida has an ocean near it. Mm -hmm. In Arizona, you have nothing. Yeah. You are hours away. So it's just that desperation of being in a parking lot in Orlando without any of the escape. And it's a whole state. Um, Anyway, so she was supposed to be flying to Coolidge Field, and then they actually got a weather check change, and they were then sent to Palm Springs. And it, some of they were in a larger squadron, and some of the squadron did make it to Phoenix. They flew to Coolidge Field. Mm -hmm. Three of them stayed behind, uh, Tommy and two, two other pilots. They stayed behind, and they were rerouted to Palm Springs. Yes. And so they were supposed to take off October 26, 1944, and she actually planned to fly the plane to New Jersey uh, in the— Next following days. Yeah. But wasps were required to make stopovers at night to avoid flying during nighttime. Which is the most chauvinist shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, we trust you to fly our warplane, but it's probably going to be pretty tricky at night. Your lady brain can't handle it. So on October 26th of 1944, at 3.42 p.m., since this is all military stuff, it's well documented. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gertrude taxi. Well, this is the only part that is. Yeah. Uh, she taxied to one side of the runway prior to her departure have her cockpit hatch repaired it was just not latching and they multiple times checked it thought it was working she'd go to take off and it would pop back open again so multiple times this uh cockpit hatch just wasn't latching but i do want to talk about it uh just to give it a sort of a i don't know a point of reference mm -hmm. uh fuck why can't it? lowenstein when we talked about albert lowenstein when he fell out of the back of his plane which is a great episode you should go check that one out but we talked about how a lot of people said well they just opened the door they couldn't have opened the door. The issue with her her canopy was less that it wouldn't close. It would close. It wouldn't stay latched. So once she took off, the air pressure would just shoot it back. Yep. Uh, now, the thing to keep in mind is that was more, I think, in, retrospectively, we can look at that. and be, We'll get into that more in a minute when we talk about what happened to her mm -hmm. um, or what happened when she disappeared. But I do feel like that is a little bit of a red herring because it's not as big of an issue as it's described as being. But yeah. I am sort of putting the cart before the horse as I'm known to do, so I'll let you finish first. So she was supposed to leave from Minesfield, go out over the ocean, and turn back and then make her way to Palm Springs with the two other planes you mentioned. So she apparently departed from Minesfield to Palm Springs, flying the... Mustang with serial number four four dash one five six six nine. Keep your eyes peeled important. if you're yeah if you're out there looking for PF or PF Chang. I was about to say PF Chang's parts. <laughs> and she was in the back of the formation. So the other two planes took off. They had confirmation that all three planes took off from the runway, and the two planes made it to Palm Springs. She never did. And that was the last she and her plane were ever seen or heard from. Yes. So. She never arrived at Palm Springs, and due to reporting errors, because like I said, they were supposed to be arriving in Phoenix, but they were rerouted at the last minute because of weather, so the Palm Springs tra air traffic control didn't have their flight plans. Yeah, it's important to remember that at the time, a flight a flight plan was a, a physical plan. Yeah, you had to have it delivered. <laughs> it's kind of how trucking still works, how they have their logs. You, yeah. I mean, and there are still flight logs, too. You have to have flight logs, but you still have all this. Have you seen it? You've seen all the books on Ryan's seat. So, um... They had no copies of her flight plans for the day as she was not reported as missing until October 30th because of it. Yeah, so that's so for those four days track, later. Yeah, that's four days later. Now, that's obviously a relatively quick flight, even in a P-51. You mm -hmm. know, that's not longer than a couple of hours. And the place, 
uh, that this really starts to fall apart for me is when they landed, the two co-pilots, sorry, I didn't mean to land back there. I was just trying to make a visualization. When the two pilots uh, landed, they said they didn't know that she wasn't with them. They were flying in formation. And for those who don't know, I understand you're probably like, well, they're planes and they have primitive radios. So they're like looking forward. Why she, why nobody said anything about her not being on the radio. And what's interesting is we don't have it. We'll get into that in just a second. But I just wanted to, before we get into what happened to her, I want to include when they said that they didn't see her, they said that, you know, we didn't notice that she wasn't behind us. P-51 Mustangs, very distinctly, unlike most planes, have two rear view mirrors on the top of the canopy. And it's for battle. It's so you can see the two sides of your tail. And what's funny is there's almost no way you can fly one of those planes without looking at your tail mirrors. I'm sitting like I'm sitting there. Uh, and I don't know how they could have possibly flown for two hours and not seen her in the, their tail mirrors. Yeah. Now, we don't have the, the radio records, obviously, because it's from a time that, or a, yeah, the land that time forgot. So it's kind of hard, but it does, there are a lot of stuff there. So yeah, I say all that, I should say that to preface, I suppose we should get into what could have happened, right? Yeah, so the military initiated an extensive search, never found her plane, no evidence of a suspected crash has ever been discovered, and they just kind of wrote her off. They classified her as missing and presumed dead in November of 1944. And Henry mourned his wife's assumed death until his own passing in 1965. And there's been no evidence. And it should be pointed out that uh, they were quick to, if you're thinking like, oh, that seems like kind of a quick thing to write off. And why wasn't, why does this seem like a unique treatment? Why is this the only person this has ever happened with during the World War? And that's because I honestly think it's because she was a woman. Yeah. I mean, they weren't given veteran status. These women were veterans and they weren't given veteran status until the 70s. Yep. And it wasn't until 2010 when Obama, a guy born in Africa, gave them the what they got the Congressional Gold Medal, right? The they didn't even get the Medal of Honor, which is yeah. hilarious. But I guess that's because they technically weren't in combat. But the Congressional Gold Gold Medal. No. Congressional gold medal obviously uh, is a great thing to. Well, it you know, it's, I'm sort of against the whole system, but it, it is a it is a large award. If you're if we're talking about being awarded by the government, that is a significant award. It was also a significant award that was awarded about 40 years too late. Yeah, and the wasps or were 40 or 70 years. Sorry, yeah. the wasps were given very poor treatment. Um, so shortly after Gertrude disappeared, the wasps were disbanded. Yep, and it's because Congress actually signed something to disband them. Because the male pilots were little poo-poo shit babies about it. Yeah, so apparently a bunch of male pilots went to Congress and was like, hey, uh, we see you got a woman flying a Mustang. And they're like, if you're going to have them take over our jobs, we're going to stop being pilots. It's the most pathetic. Imagine that being your grandfather. Imagine that your grandfather is one of these guys who was like, if a lady flies a plane, I'm going to fly a plane. Yeah. Why the fuck wouldn't you want women up there with you? And Congress <laughs> Congress was like, I don't understand, oh, shit. Dudes. I don't understand the like, he-man woman-hating club. Women are the coolest thing. Why the fuck wouldn't you want them around? Uh, and so Congress, being shitty Congress in the 40s, was like, yeah, let's bomb another innocent state or country. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, well, if you guys don't want to be pilots, let's get rid of the wasps. Yeah, they did. Disbanded them. Yeah, didn't recognize them as active duty armed members until the 70s. And by not 
acknowledging that they were vets. They didn't get VA benefits. They didn't get anything that comes with being a veteran. They didn't have veteran status. They didn't get no veterans discount at Walmart. You know, like none of, I don't even know if they do that, but none of that shit. Walmart, of course they do that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Walmart is like a veterans discount for everybody. You know, that's why everything's a little bit cheaper. Those are actually the prices that veterans pay everywhere. That's what they base (laughs) their prices on. The most patriotic of stores, Walmart. Um, Yeah. So there's like, I, man, I couldn't imagine just like, how do you, how are you proud of like your, your family member who was like, you know what? Fuck women. They can't participate. All right. Well, now that we know what happened to her, her group, and obviously since then they've been given veteran status. Some of them are still around. Uh, We, we have some. Uh, commentary in here from a woman named Nell Bright, who was a pilot who flew with her and a couple other pilots. Um, and fortunately, they've lived long enough to see their flowers, but it's way too damn long. Yeah. Imagine telling your grandma she doesn't like I just don't know what kind of soulless person can look in the eyes of their grandmother and be like, you don't deserve a medal. That's your grandma. Give her whatever the fuck she wants. That, That's your grandma. Imagine being in what kind of sick asshole doesn't love a grandmother. You're like 70s or 80s. And your boss from the pizza place you worked at when you were 17 shows up and he's like, hey, I know this is a little late, but you did a great job when you worked for me. Anyways, bye. <laughs> yeah, dude, like, what the fuck is that? That means nothing to me. Thank hey, you. Hey, anytime you're in the shop now, I mean, you won't be because you're fucking old as shit, but you can get free pizza. <laughs> hey, See listen, ya. <laughs> I know that we eliminated your portion of the kitchen, but you're welcome back in ours anytime. Get the fuck out of here. Okay, so speaking of getting the fuck out of here, where did Tommy go? What happened to her? Well, the first theory is obviously we'll go with Occam's Razor. The Well, you know, Occam's Razor here, we think about a little differently. For those who don't know, that's the most obvious answer it's a means that the most obvious answer is probably the right one but mm-hmm. to us the most obvious answer isn't always what yeah. everybody sees so now did she crash they say she took off from the airstrip which means that she was in all likelihood up in the air according to the people watching and i'm going to get into that cuz i'm going deep government i'm going deep state today that's my that's my theory but <laughs> um you know she did she did take off but she didn't land and i think it's oddly suspicious as i just mentioned that her co-pilots claimed that she was with him the whole time it's very possible that they just like figured she was way behind and they just didn't bother to look and they kind of took it for granted. Like hubris can definitely show itself as intent sometimes. Yeah. Like you can just be cocky enough that it looks like you did something, but you didn't, you just really weren't fucking paying attention. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you put it even into small scale, if you were with two friends and you're walking from one end of town to the other and you get to the other end of town and someone's like, Hey, where's the other person? You're like, I swear to God, she, they were right behind us <laughs> yeah. this whole time. Yeah. Now imagine if that was a fellow pilot flying a Mustang, like a plane that shakes so hard it'll fix your stutter. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I, I that one is if she crashed, it's possible, mm-hmm. but I, it's not my favorite theory. However, we should explore it. So she crashes. If she crashes, there's a couple places she could have crashed. She could have crashed in uh, the ocean, obviously, as she was yep. going out of Long Beach and turning around. Uh, I guess you know it's not technically Long Beach, but for those who know where LAX is, like that area, if you're pulling out there and over, but I think it's amazing that it's never been found. There was also a 2009 expedition that basically scanned all of the area in the in the harbor there and a little further out on the coastal land. And while they found two planes, a Cessna and a different uh, training plane, probably also from that base, yeah. they did not find a P-51 Mustang, nor mm-hmm. did they find any sort of... Uh, piece of a p51 mustang and it's aluminum so 
it's going to keep pretty well down yeah, there. It's you know? not like it's going to rust. Yeah, it's not going to rust, at least not in the same way. It will degrade, but not in the same way. Um, the porosity of the metal will definitely matter. But now if it's in the ocean, we've looked pretty extensively at this point and nobody's found it with pretty fancy tech. So if it is, we haven't found it yet. So that leaves an option. Now, could it have crashed in Palm Springs while she was on our way. Yeah, and that's that area is actually known as kind of a hot spot for plane crashes. There's been a number of crashes there throughout the years. Yeah, there's some pretty high mountain peaks in that area. And, and anybody who's driven through there recently uh, in the past, you know, five, ten years, I don't know when they built them, but uh, there's all those windmills there. Like, it's a windy place. There's a lot of air moving through there. Uh, it's a turbulent place to fly, especially if you're flying lower. You know, when you fly, we should point this out that um, for those who don't know, the air sick bags that are in planes are in there from when they used to fly a mile high. That's why it's called the mile high club when you have sex in a plane. Because planes also, planes used to, the the ceiling or the, the bottom for planes used to be 5,000 feet. Now 5,000 feet is very bumpy um, as you've experienced. You know, when you're in a Cessna, you usually fly somewhere between three and 5,000 feet. Yeah. And you don't really start to level out until you get to about 4,000 feet. The air's pretty jerky throughout it, there. Yeah. There was once we were flying and we were going straight, but the plane was like this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were at like a 45 degree angle. Sometimes and you really have to compensate for it. And the way that you'll dip into thermals and mm -hmm. stuff, it's a very loosey. Like, I think a lot of people think of flying as a very precise thing when it's quite the contrary. Yeah. You're just sort of guiding it. You know, like you you're just, just doing your best. You just got to <laughs> get to point B in whatever way you possibly can it's without much, hitting the ground. Yeah. It's a lot like sailing. It's yeah. just like we got to get over there and we're using kind of a weird way to get there. Um, now, that being said, that area very windy and flying at those that lower altitude in that type of plane yeah for sure that's gonna the likelihood that you could crash there's a lot higher but we are not talking about an average pilot either you know we're talking about somebody who's one of the most talented pilots and not somebody who had inexperience in this plane this wasn't her first time flying a mustang she was incredibly comfortable in it mm -hmm. arguably her favorite plane yeah the plane that fixed cured her, her stutter. Yeah, it cured her stutter. She loves the P-51 Mustang. She knows it very well. So the idea that even under burly conditions, she could have gone down, I find that a little, uh. And one of the other things that they love to say in plane crashes, and you know, it's funny that we started doing this podcast after we had started flying. So we have a better understanding of flight episodes always have a slightly different breakdown of how things work. Like yeah. our best known podcast is about a plane crash. It's about the Gwen Shamblin crash. And that's because we not only know that airport, but we know the air conditions there. We know all that stuff because we've flown there. Yeah. So like this sort of thing to me, I think it's really easy for people when somebody's like, well, the conditions were bad. It was probably fog or is a problem with the plane, which are the next two things we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy if you haven't flown a plane to be like, oh yeah, well it must've been. Now the fog is real. That's if you've ever heard of somebody being instrument rating, that's what it means to be instrument rated means that you fly using just the instruments of your plane. Yep. So what you need to be in order to be commercially uh, a pilot because that commercial planes are predominantly autopilot and you know, they fly through clouds and shit nonstop and they have to, they can't, reroute they yeah. can't do anything they got to be willing to drive through them so that being said that's instrument rated now this didn't have instruments like that that's not that type of vehicle so the fog could in theory have caused a problem but again this is a woman who's flying out of her home airstrip on her home plane yeah. on a home route that she knows better almost than anybody else yeah so any of these comments about how it could have been her fault i really 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 have a hard time believing because you prove it dude like she was such a good pilot she was so capable yeah i think it it honestly kind of feels like condescending it feels like somebody being like yeah she might have been good but she wasn't that good no she was she was yeah. that good and she absolutely was that good there was a report released with that 2009 excursion to try to find it and they had a 
a female pilot leading the excursion as well as, I guess, insight. Again, weird, shitty military stuff. Yeah. But she even was kind of condescending. Would a, where would a plane with a vagina crash? The reasons that she gave in the report were also kind of bullshit. Yeah, they're just the same old FAA shit, like conditions. It said uh, possible causes were pilot disorientation due to fog. Which I don't buy. Canopy issues. Which we'll get into that in just... Actually, we can just talk about that right now. Yeah. So... We talked about with Lowenstein how you couldn't open that door. That canopy would fly back, but you could fly with it open. Have you guys never seen a biplane? Yeah. Never seen a single wing plane? You could fly with an open canopy to pretty high elevations. It's not until you need oxygen. It's not really until you start to get above eight, 9,000 feet yeah. that you should consider oxygen and you should consider a closed cabin. Until then, you can absolutely fly an open cabin plane. How do you think they fly helicopters places? Yeah. Like, do you think the guys who sit on the outside of that helicopter at 2,000 feet or whatever? Like, what do you think they're doing? Do you think that they're freezing to death? You, yeah. No. It's, it's 2,000 feet. If you live at sea level, you are now dealing with how people in Omaha, Nebraska feel. Yeah. You're only 2,000 feet in the air. It's not that high. It's easy to think about it because it's fucking scary. You know, it's 2,000 feet in the air. It's very high. Like you said, the semi-truck becomes the size of a, a kielbasa, a, a little finger. You know, it's like it gets really small. I used the wrong sausage there. I couldn't have picked a longer sausage for that. I couldn't have gotten that more wrong. Uh, like a beanie weenie, maybe. But, you know, like, so I think in that sense, it's very scary because 2,000 feet of free fall is terrifying. Yeah. But 2,000 feet of elevation isn't that significant of a change. Yeah. And you're not going to experience that significant of a change. Now, it does depend on where what your true elevation is. It depends on where you're coming from. But she was flying from sea level. Yes. So her true elevation was going to be lower than usual, you know? For those who don't know, that's when you... You know, you fix it in accordance to what you took off from. If you're 2,000 feet in the air, but you took off at 500 feet, you're 25 feet in the actual air. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the other one they gave was center of gravity issues. Oh, uh, yeah, well, because the Mustang doesn't keep its fuel in the wings because it's a fucking fighter plane, so yeah. it can't keep its fuel in the wings. And it keeps it in the middle. So, yeah, it does have a bit of a belly roll. But that is also... Very condescending. She flew these planes before. It wasn't like yeah. it was her first time in one all of these of planes. These, all of these reports are just, it reminds me, we talked about this before too with the alien thing, but it reminds me of just like the gaslighting that the Project Blue Book agents would do because they're just like, what happened to this plane? Like, oh, it crashed. Okay, why? I don't know, she's probably a shitty pilot. You know, plane crash stuff. Yeah, like, no, no, no. No, you're going to have to give us, like, a very specific... Because it also didn't just crash. Like, nobody... We, so we've looked... We went back and looked through the newspapers. There are no reports of a plane crash in the area that entire year or the year afterwards from any newspapers in the tri-state area. And I checked New York. There's no mention of Tommy Tompkins going yeah. missing. There's nothing. They didn't talk about this woman going missing at all. I mean, they didn't report it for four days. And, and like, you can like, you can tell me, sorry to interrupt, oh yeah, but you no, can you're tell fine. me all you want that like, oh, gee willikers, we just didn't see her and it took us four days to file the paperwork. Guys, <laughs> she's a she's a missing pilot in a P-51 Mustang. She's in a fighter jet. If um, If somebody went missing from a base today in an F-35? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that we'd They'd have search them. it. Yeah, we we probably find that jet, wouldn't we? But, I bet we'd I bet we'd find where that even if it was at the bottom of a damn ocean, we would find that ten million dollar jet. Like it's weird to me. It's really important to put this into modern context because, like, 
It's insane that she went missing and they were just like, well, and after four days, they were like, oh, we should look for it. And then a couple weeks later, like conclusively, we found nothing. It must have been a problem with the plane that this ace pilot managed to crash. The woman who we trust to tune up these planes. Now, one of the people we mentioned that Nell Bright had something to say about this. She was a fellow wasp. And the only thing that she said that does contribute to the theory that the plane may have crashed mm -hmm. was that she said that they were often, again, as we mentioned, the wasps were not treated well. Nope. They were treated like the battle droids are treated. Yeah. They were treated like 99 is how they yeah. were treated. Uh, Sir, if you didn't get that reference, you have to watch The Clone Wars. You just should anyway. But, you know, Nell said that there was a very good chance that plane hadn't been tested. Yeah. So it probably came right off the factory floor and straight to them. However, what I will say to that is the idea that there was zero pre-check. Every pilot does a pre-check. Every pilot does a pre-check because they're the one who dies if they don't do the pre-check right. Yeah. Every pilot does a pre-check. So I have a hard time believing this woman might. Now, there could have been some hubris. We've been saying up and down that she knew these planes better than it anybody else so yeah maybe she went oh it'll be fine and flew and it wasn't fine there you go i think that's an acceptable hole but the likelihood of that is pretty low not to mention that they already had people working on the canopy issue if she had had any other issues if she was like hey it's idling weird i'm gonna tell you right now just like any race car mechanic can you turn your plane on you can tell how your plane's running yeah especially a plane like that this is not a turbo jet this is a prop plane this is a plane that's got 12 cylinders it starts yeah. up like a goddamn lamborghini you know what it sounds like when it's running you know how it's supposed to idle you know all that stuff and you know how it smells you've smelled the planes like yeah. you know how it's supposed to smell and i was about to say personal experience i was supposed to go out with uh our friend ryan and funny enough the reason the plane wouldn't work is because when he got in the plane his foot hit the fuel pump He's switch so mad that you brought this yeah up. <laughs> his foot hit the fuel pump switch and he didn't realize it and it was after he did that part of the pre-check. He'd already done the pre-check, and he got back into the cabin. Yeah, he got back into the cabin, and he started the plane up, and it would run, and then it would sputter and stop. And that's because no fuel was going to the engine. But in his mind, everything checked out correctly. So we sat there, and he's like, I, I'm not flying this plane. He's yeah. like, everything should be working correctly. And but, it, dude, with a plane, should is not how you fly. Exactly. If it's not working, we don't go in the air. Yeah. If you got into a car and someone was like, hey, I'm going to give you a ride, but there's like, I don't know, a 30% chance I might crash into a wall, you're going to be like, I'm sorry, a 30% chance you might crash into a I'll just not ride to. I'll walk. It's like when we're at the airport and, you know, flights get delayed and stuff. I never really throw a fit. Oh, yeah. Because I know who, what's happening. Like, I know. I feel for the people, like the mechanics and the ground crew and the people who are like, we can't fly this plane today. And they're like, oh, well, we have to. And like, wait, no, no, no. You didn't understand what I said. We can't fly this plane yeah. today. Yeah, uh, there's just, it's, it's, you know, it's a, I have a hard time believing that if there was anything that would have contributed to her crashing that fast, because guys, we're talking about falling, she, she fell the air faster than Joe Laura did, to yeah. go back to Gwen Chambliss. And I mean, this is an incredibly talented pilot who managed to disappear in the thin air like that. I just have a hard time believing that she crashed, I have a hard time believing it was an engine, which is where I'm going to get into my theory. Yes. Is that okay? Can I move on to my theory? Do you have I, anything to contribute? I was just going to say that, like, I mean... That is 121 miles via road from LAX to Palm Springs. Those Mustangs went 400 miles per hour at top yep. speed. Like I said, it's a two-hour flight. As, if that. Yeah. Like, and for you to be like, well, I mean, she, she just crashed. It's just basically scoffing and going, 
women, am I right? Yeah, like, why didn't those other two pilots have something to say about this? Yeah. Because they were the only ones. I give it to the guys at the airport because maybe they, the ground crew there didn't know they are supposed to be coming. But when the other two pilots landed, they weren't like, hey, yeah, we got a third pilot with us. It just feels like a lot of, like, well, I guess we'll find out. There's, it doesn't make any sense to me that those two pilots didn't have a an excuse for where the fuck she was and then had no concern for the fact that she hadn't shown up. I understand that maybe the people in Palm Springs knew that she or didn't know she was supposed to be there in the first place, so they don't really know what's going on. But the other two pilots took off with another pilot, and she's not fucking there. She's also one of the best pilots, and Nell and a couple other pilots said that in the WASP program, Tommy was a rock. She was somebody people would turn to. Yeah. She was a leader. She, she was, was very like, she was methodical all business. in like, all business. As we mentioned earlier, when she was training, she was nothing but business. She was fly, 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 and you can feel it. You know, it's, it's the anguish of missing her love, right? Yeah. She lost this person. The only person she ever really loved flew a plane, so she wants to do what he was doing. She mm-hmm. wants to fill his great place, and that's it's remarkable, but you have to understand that this is a person who you would notice has gone missing. Yeah. And the star pupil is gone. So that's where we get into my theory. Now, two years before she went missing, something else happened uh, in Los Angeles that some might only know as the name of one of the best Rage Against the Machine uh, albums, but the Battle of Los Angeles. Now, the Battle of Los Angeles was a scary, uh, a very scary event because it was the first time that uh, in America we had had domestic alarms go off and there was a belief that we were being invaded by the Japanese. The Japanese were going to bomb Los Angeles and that they were going to do the same thing there that they'd done in Pearl Harbor. So, alarms are going off. Jets are scrambled, including the team that Tommy works with. These people are scrambled into their planes, thrown up into the air, and what do they see but a whole bunch of fucking glowing lights and no planes. Yeah. Nothing they see looks like a plane. Everything they see looks a whole lot like what we know as a UFO. And you have a situation that's not dissimilar from uh, the, what was it, the dogfight in in Fargo? Yes. Which is, you have a couple guys in Mustangs who are taken off after these other aircraft. Um, For those of you who don't know, that's in our our episode about the Battle of the Big Sky, but feel free to Google it. There was a dogfight in Fargo, North Dakota in the 1950s between a couple P-51 Mustangs that came across a UFO and tried to chase it, and it outran them. Yeah. The guy was full throttle, so we're talking 450 miles an hour. And and he was like, we can't keep up. I, I can't shoot it. I can't keep up with it. The same thing happened in Los Angeles that day. So that's 1962. That's the summer of 1962. 42. 42. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah 1942. I apologize. So that's 1942. Skip ahead to 1944. Edwards Air Force Base has already started some changes. Now, we now know Edwards Air Force Base as the name, the designation it was given in 1955, mm-hmm. which is Area 51. Yep. But Edwards Air Force Base has been in Nash, or in, listen to me, it's been in Nevada for a number of years and was very, very popular. Uh, it was a very popular airfield during World War II. It's where a lot of experimental planes were built. We all know that the, the Blackbird, the SR-71, that's where it was tested and made. It's where the U-2 was tested and made. Um, it has always had this reputation, obviously, as being a place where maybe alien crafts were, but that's because it's an experimental aircraft yes. site. That's what it is. That's what it's always been. Now, do they possibly have UFO shit there? Yeah, maybe. But what you should know is an absolute fact is that Area 51, Edwards Air Force Base, serves as an experimental Air Force Base. That's yeah. what it's there for. That's why there's so much privacy. Now, that might include UFO parts, maybe, but it doesn't exclusively, and there have been other planes. Now, that P-51 Mustang doesn't have have a small fuel tank. No. Those are warplanes. Yeah. That baby is built to fly 1,300 miles. Now, that's a big radius, y'all. That's far. That's Mexico. That's Oregon. That's Utah. That's... Damn, well, that's Nevada... Or uh, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. It's almost St. Louis. She can go visit Charles Lindbergh. Uh, 
who we got to do an episode on him being a German spy because it's God Charles Lindbergh. If you guys don't know that story, he's a lot more interesting than just the baby stuff. Yeah, uh, the only civilian to ever run fifty successful bombing runs during a war campaign, which is again we could get into that later. <laughs> so anyway, speaking of which, I don't find it hard to believe that maybe, just maybe, because. As a pilot, you would take off from the same designation to fly to Palm Springs that you would if you had to change it about 13 degrees to fly to Edwards Air Force Base. Yep. So I don't find it hard to believe that she could have flown to Edwards Air Force Base that day. Why do I think that that's what happened? Well, because at the time we were putting together a group known as the CIA and we were doing the best that we could in this country, as we've talked about a number of times, in the 40s and the 50s, the end of World War II is really what churned the gears of what we now know as the sort of big brother, deep state shit that we know, because that's when it started. That's when yeah. we those concerns really became a concern. And it's also when we started to have that level of control. Plus, we had a like very potent form of propaganda in everything that had happened during World War II. Yeah. As you can see with Korea, Vietnam, and all the subsequent conflicts. Now, at the time, we were exper experimenting with a lot of stuff. Turbojets were flying by the end of World War II. Mm -hmm. The Germans had stealth technology. We've plugged this book like four times yeah. on here. But if you guys want a really fun book about all of the experimental tech that uh, was to be, came to be, or was just planned during World War II, pick up a book called My Tank is Fight. I wish I had a copy of it right in front of me right now, specifically for this, because I could probably go over some of that technology. But what you need to know is basically since the beginning of the campaign in the 1939, Germany was working very hard to come up with a bunch of really wild stuff. Yeah. And by the end of the war, they had night vision, they had stealth technology, they had a lot of really impressive stuff, and we had a lot of that tech too. Yeah, uh, I wanted to talk we about... We talked about the Rosenbergs in one of our episodes, so the atomic spies and the exchange there. Yeah, uh, one of the planes that the U.S. was working on at that time, uh, only two were created, and I want to bring it up just because it's a super interesting concept. It was the XP-56 Black Bullet. Yeah, which the was, magnesium plane. Yes, uh Aluminum was becoming uh, harder and harder to come by, so they built two planes entirely out of magnesium, which, if you know uh, anything about basic <laughs> chemistry... Yeah, yeah, Google magnesium fire, on, yeah. or throw that into YouTube and see what comes up. There's a reason they didn't continue with it. Magnesium is extremely flammable, especially when uh, pressure and heat are applied. They, it used to be used a lot for racing wheels, and yeah. they had to stop using it for the same reason. Uh, yeah. There was an old... Uh, technique where you could fill a canvas bag with magnesium shavings and if you threw it against the ground yeah, hard enough explode. it was essentially a flashbang yeah it's a, that's that's anarchist cookbook stuff yeah uh, so anyway to go back to this before we get too far into the experimental aircraft which I do want to continue I think that's what she was I think that's what happened I think the reason the other two pilots don't know don't know what happened to her or didn't see what happened to her is because there were two other soldiers. Yeah. And I think good soldiers follow orders. Mm -hmm. And I think they were told to keep quiet about what happened with her. I think that she probably took... Guys, that was a very expensive plane at the time. Again, this is like if somebody stole... A, F-16 off a base right now. I mean, that's too old, really. Yeah. If somebody stole, a, you know, like an F-35 off a base right now. We would be, it's all you'd hear about in the news, and we would be looking for who stole this fucking plane. Yeah. Now, this is an even easier plane to land in places. She could have landed this plane any number of airstrips. It's got a tail dragger rear wheel, which means that you can land it pretty much anywhere that's flat. Yeah. Uh, it's a plane that would be easy to run away in. And... While we'll get into maybe she did run away, I think the more likely case is that she took off from that base with orders to fly to Edwards to help with some of the experimental aircraft that they were working on because she's an incredibly talented pilot. And just like the first thing we sent to space was a dog, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way because I'm not making a comparison, but I think they would have then. I think if you need an incredibly talented, you need an ace pilot, 
You need somebody who doesn't really exist. You need somebody who's kind of off the books, and if she disappears, it's no big deal. Yep, because it's technically not an active uh, army soldier. Yep, she's not technically a vet. She's not technically a pilot. She just flies for instruction, and if she disappeared, she would be the perfect subject to be the one testing these planes. She also has the physiology. We talked about this a little bit, but women are just kind of built, well, I mean, like, gender female, like, birth hips, birth pelvis, vagina, that sort of thing. I don't want to misgender people, make anybody uncomfortable. But that sort of physiology is built a little better for planes because of the size of it and the shape of it. Women, by that virtue at the time, would have been probably more would have been a more universal pilot. You could yeah. throw her in a lot more planes and, and she would have had a more universal experience to give you. The the um physio- physiological makeup too could withstand G's better as well. Yeah, they, That's why you see a lot more uh female astronauts. Yeah, their their bodies withstand G's better. They have a higher pain tolerance and their pelvis is stronger. So in the event that they have to eject, they usually it's not nearly as damaging. You don't know this, but a lot of pilots damage their pelvises. They'll break their pelvises and stuff if mm-hmm. they have to eject. Because I mean, that's I mean, it's four shotguns shooting you out of a yeah. truck, like or out of a, a canopy. You can absolutely break something doing that. Uh, heaven forbid your foot gets stuck on something on the way out, or, or your like neck. in the yeah the original Top Gun. Rest in peace, Goose. Um, so yeah, there's I I. I know that this is kind of like my cuckoo bird theory, but I don't think it's all that hard to believe. She disappeared out of nowhere. She was still quite young when she disappeared. Mm -hmm. She was incredibly capable. We've never found the plane. We barely looked for the plane. And the government went out of their way to be like, nah, she's fine. They were basically, you know, they gave us like the, she she died on the way back to her home planet kind of vibe, you know? Like she just disappeared out of nowhere. And it would make sense. It would be a very convenient um, narrative for them to have to be like, yeah, we don't know what happened to her to then not have to come up with a story about how they employ her and all these things. Yeah. And if she was in Nevada, like, this is the 40s. It would have been very easy for her to, she probably wouldn't even have to dye her hair. But, you know, do cut her hair, and now she's somebody else. Yeah, which. It's so easy. We've talked about that a lot, but it's really easy to change. It's only getting more and more difficult to change your identity, but identity theft is a prolific crime because it's a relatively easy crime. All you got to do is say you're that person. Which brings me to the theory that I came up with while we were doing Discovery, and that it's kind of a two-parter. Either she, I, the cusp of mine is she crashed, but she survived the crash. Okay. And with that, she either uh, sustained a brain injury or a head injury where she forgot who she was. Okay. And so she ended up somewhere in between either L.A. and Palm Springs. It's like the English patient. L.A. Exactly. Or yeah. L.A. and Phoenix. She crashed, survived, but had a brain injury, couldn't remember who she was, and then just lived life as that. Uh, my The second part to this is going to sound shitty, but it's not far-fetched. She crashes, she survives, she wanders into a town and is like, hey, I'm a pilot for the army, I just crashed. And they're like, sure you are. Everyone looks at her like she's fucking crazy and she gets institutionalized. Yeah, I definitely see that being possible. When we talked about Walter Collins, when Christine Collins got given the wrong kid and she was like, that's not my kid. And the cop was like, yes it is. And she was like, no, I assure you, he came out of my vagina, not my child. And they said, go to Looney Bin. (laughs) And they fucking (laughs) locked her up until until she was proven right, which is, you know, like the treatment of women, obviously, it's just abysmal, uh, especially back then. Yeah, I definitely see that is a possibility. I think if she survived it, she very easily could have been locked up because nobody would have believed the story she was telling. Yeah. And, and there's no, like you wouldn't, you don't carry a wallet with you when you fly a plane for the military and they were wasps. They weren't considered soldiers. There was probably very little documentation. And I mean, if, 
It was so hard. It was the 40s to pull documentation. It's hard as fuck to pull documentation from the military now. Yeah, absolutely. I've been trying to find out how my bio dad got dishonorably discharged <laughs> for years. We'll get there. Um, but If anybody knows in the comments. <laughs> but the thing is, like, if you crashed... You don't believe, like, you as a dude in the middle of California that's running, in my mind, like a diner, and this lady wanders in and is like, I'm a pilot for the U.S. military. I crashed. I need help. You're not going to be like, oh, yeah, well, let me call up the Army. Yeah. Be like, hey, I found one of your lady pilots. Yeah. You're going to be like, hey, uh, <laughs> 911. lady pilots. There's a crazy lady talking about how she just crashed a Mustang. There's even a possibility that they could have found somebody called it in, and they would have been like, no, we don't have any female pilots. Yeah. Because it was, the, they didn't, when you're dealing with, a like, a covert, uh, uh, what am I trying to think of, operation like this, mm -hmm. you do run into the the possibility that people won't believe you. Yeah. Uh, now, here's my final theory. Uh, we'll end on a romantic note. Do you think that because she started doing all of this, because her husband died, mm -hmm. do you think she was around enough of the conflict and she saw that it was probably coming to an end? She was, you know, she was flying in an area where she would have seen uh, members of the Manhattan Project. She would have known. They would have been fast at work on this stuff. This is 1944. Yeah. The end of 1944. The end of the war would come not more than a year after that. Do you think there's a possibility where maybe she saw that or maybe she didn't and she didn't think it was coming? She had this plane that had saved her from her grief, had given her direction when she lost her love, had cured her of her stutter. I don't find it hard to believe that she just said, fuck it, I'm not coming back. Yeah. And she just flew away in her plane and we just never saw her again. We don't know where she is. Maybe she landed in Mexico. Maybe she landed elsewhere. We've never found that plane and not finding the plane tells me one of two things. It's either in the ocean or it's in a hangar. And or, I think it's in a hangar. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's in a hangar somewhere. Or it got slurped up yeah, by oh a yeah. temporal vortex. That's true. Yeah, we, we, we'd be remiss talking about our theories if we didn't bring it back to our hometown theory, which is that it was part of the Kentucky meat storm that happened in the 1860s. That, that's when it was. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which was uh, an inexplicable storm of meat pieces that fell out of the sky for a number of hours over Kentucky. And we theorized in that episode that it was possibly some sort of temporal trash can where maybe the people who go missing throughout time fall through the same rift and that rift kind of fucks them up and spits them out. And when you get spit out, that's what you look like. Is the what temporal the... meat grinder. You know, like uh, Sakaar in yeah. the MCU. <laughs> you get sucked up, but if you fall out of that that uh, temporal bifrost, you get turned into fucking goo, and you get dumped into 18th century Kentucky. <laughs> Dude, legitimately, it is important to point out that none of that tissue tested animal tissue or human tissue. So what the fuck was it, guys? Scrambled well, the DNA. Dude, it was, that was, I honestly feel like we should cover that story again, just for the sake of it. It's such an interesting story. Alright, well, if you guys have any uh, inkling on what happened with the Kentucky Meat Storm, go watch that episode and leave a comment over there, damn it. If you have any inkling on what maybe happened uh, in this story, leave us a comment, please. I don't know what happened to Tommy, man. I, I hope, my hope of hopes is that last theory that I had, and that's that she found freedom. She said, yeah. fuck it. I'm done with the military. They don't appreciate or love me. I got nobody else. I, it's just me and my plane. I'm getting the fuck out of here, because that's cool as hell. Yeah, I hope that she uh, is like, I don't know what she, I, she'd be 110 now, so that'd be. Yeah, she's probably not around anymore. But I hope that she like, I don't know, lived her days living in a hangar. With her beloved Mustang and as just some lady in, like, Canada or Mexico or some uh, yeah, shit. Yeah, I like to think that she just got a job as a fucking mechanic in Mexico or something and lived out the rest of her days on the beach 
no feet flying her plane when she felt like it. Yeah. Just known as the the, the crazy gringa with the war, American warplane, you know? Because that's the type of shit you could get away with Mexico. Yeah. I can confirm that. You could definitely just be like the guy in the neighborhood that inexplicably has a tank. Nobody really knows why. You've never done anything bad with it. Yeah. I don't really care, but it is weird that you have a tank. <laughs> yeah, my buddy Steven, he's the white dude that lives up the street. Uh, he's got a fucking helicopter if we ever want to take it out. I'm not entirely sure he knows how to fly it, but he <laughs> said he got in an estate sale. Um... <laughs> Because that shit, that, I'm pretty sure that's just one of Johnny Knoxville's characters in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> basically is, yeah. Yeah, I want to see uh, Jackass 5 give us a real live action movie. That's what I want. <laughs> All right, well, uh, leave any comments you might have for this in, in that place in the comments down below us. We uh, we appreciate them. We always love to read them and see what you guys think of the stories. They're such weird little stories that I really love to see what the other warm brains on the internet have to say <laughs> other than these two warm brains. But with that said, that does bring us to the end of the podcast and to Caleb's arguably favorite time of the podcast and that's riddle time it is riddle time so last week's riddle was what starts with a t ends with a t and has t all throughout it a british person it well close a teapot oh yeah, yeah. well that's a british person yeah yeah uh so teapot of course starts with t ends with t and holds tea yeah yeah i was thinking like they wake up in the morning they go to bed you know because they have tea in the morning and they have tea at night yeah yeah and they're full of tea all day so uh this week's riddle is uh, a bit of a history question as also, well. that's a funny uh, trans joke, too. The tea thing. Yeah, anyway. Uh, Shout out trans rights. So there was a president of a corporation. Um, there were multiple. Uh, the 22nd president of this corporation and the 24th president of this corporation had the same parents, same mother, same father, but they were not brothers. How is that possible? Okay. Leave it in the comments, guys. Let us know what you think. Hit us with your, your family tree knowledge and also business knowledge, I suppose. I like the preposition for this one. It's a good setting. Uh, and, yeah, and if there's anything you'd like to know about Tommy, if you want to continue the conversation, please do. Also, shout out to all the females who work way harder than the men who get more respect out there. Uh, we love the wasps, and we love all the women in the world. Whether, uh, <laughs> whether, whether J.K. Rowling says you're a woman or not, we love you very much. We think you are. And uh, with that said, we guys, we guys, we guys, we'll see you guys this time next week. We love you very much. See you. Bye.